Hello, this is Vicky, and welcome to Sources and Sinks. You can get this podcast from where you get your podcasts from: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Today we have Katie Paxson Fear, a cybersecurity researcher and lecturer, here to discuss her research into how we, as an industry, can develop ways to mitigate the risks of insider threat. So let's talk about your research during your PhD program. How did you apply data science to security? Um, so in the UK, you don't get a choice. Well, you can、uh-huh. get a choice, but it's not like in the US where you apply for a specific program and you like suggest a research topic.、Mm-hmm. It was、um, a PhD that was available, so I applied、yeah. for it.、Um, so my background is in data science, not in security at all. But、um, for what, how my project works, it's basically natural language processing, which is machine learning applied to text. Uh, mm-hmm. To understand a bunch of reports of insider threat activity, and to kind of build a red murder string wall. So you know how you have in like cop shows, you have that big cork board with all the red string showing everywhere the suspect was last seen and what、mm-hmm. how people are connected in the case. That, but done automatically by a computer about insider threat activity.、Mm-hmm. So, what are the traditional approaches towards defending against insider threats? Um, so there's kind of three. There's not necessarily three、um, approaches, but there's like lenses in which to view the problem of insider threat. You can view it technically. You can go, well, if we can detect anomalous activity, we can catch it them in the act essentially.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one is this kind of technical approach, and they're really great. Apart from, they don't necessarily offer a way to kind of have reflections. So things like you know why, what motivated them,、um, what methodology they took, what security controls might have been bypassed. You only see that kind of forensic fingerprint, which、mm-hmm. is useful but doesn't tell the whole story. And often with insider threat, that's very nuanced. So you need to understand the full story. Right. So that is the kind of traditional technical approach. Then you have psychological approaches, and they are the complete opposite. They are trying to ask the why of a personality. So, me and you, we both get say demoted. We both end up、um, like maybe taking a pay cut. What would get one person to attack and the other person to just be grumpy? That is what psychological approaches attempt to answer and trying to encapsulate. You know what are risk factors? Why 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 would this happen to somebody but not to others? Um, and they're really great, but it's very difficult to actually use them in practice.、Mm-hmm. While in insider threat, in the form of like technology, we can detect it. That's very much the kind of reflection after it's happened,、uh, and kind of a bit of prevention. And then you kind of have the third lens, which is organizational controls. So. 
in organizational controls, we want actionable advice. So we want to look and say, what can we implement that will stop this from happening? What can we implement as an organization, whether that is employee assistance schemes, whether that is um, people dealing with managers in a different way or people dealing with management in a different way in general? Like, how can we have those situations, like those kind of um, solutions implemented into an actual organization? The problem is, is that none of these really do a great job of defending against insider threat. If they did, we wouldn't have insider threat. And insider threat is like a consistent problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Like 30% of breaches in 2019, and I think it was a little bit less than 30% in 2020, were had an insider involved. Mm -hmm. So why do you think like these traditional approaches are so insufficient in provide in preventing insider threats well i think the the thing to think about is the whole you know you can't see the wood through the trees like we're so focused on these individual lenses in which we view insider threat that actually we're not kind of opening ourselves to the kind of variety and broad range insider threat can actually be like if you're only looking for, you know, if you have a, a, a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Like you have right. one tool and you try and apply that to everything and it just doesn't work. You need that kind of holistic 360 degree view. And a lot of the time, especially with technical approaches, you lose the human element. But if you then go sh- straight to the human element, you're losing the actual evidence. You're not mm-hmm. taking into account the actual forensics left behind. So you're not necessarily taking those lessons learned in the correct way. When we look at organizational approaches, they're great. They're brilliant. You know, actually, um, in controls we can actually implement. However, even so, we get into a position where those controls sometimes can't, like, did, like be used to fend off new attacks. So it can be really difficult to have, like, essentially this, like, three-pronged attack especially if you don't have anyone knowledgeable about insider threats. This is a really specialist field that has psychology, that has organizational skills, that has management styles. And asking someone to do all of that is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So you need that holistic 360-degree view. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So can you tell us a little bit about your research of um, approaching insider threats with NLP? Uh, yeah, so what my research does is it kind of does several things. In Insider Threat, we have Insider Threat models, and models are really good at encapsulating these kind of elements. The problem is they are static. They can't change. Once a model has been created, that's it. It, it, it can't be adjusted. And that means that as organizations change and as you know the world of work changes, last year we've had such a massive change in the world of work that Actually, what inside the threat looks like in 2019 and what it looked like in 2020 were probably very different. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have these kind of static models. So my research says this. Why don't we try and make them dynamic? What if we look at a bunch of reports and we try and pull out the important characteristics of the attack? So we're talking about methodology, motivation, um, assets targeted, uh, historical behavior, um, the insider's job and their function in the business. So take all of those characteristics that, that any insider threat could attack should have. 
then saying, okay, if we look at that and search them in the text, we can then map them out. So if we get reports from a bunch of different people, we'll notice these themes because their characteristics like motivation will be present in quite a few different reports. But people write about things differently. So we can start to put sentences together from different reports that explain the same inside threat characteristics. We have two different ways of discussing, say, the motivation. Mm -hmm. And then we want to say, okay, but how does motivation then link into every other characteristic about an attack? So we start out by um, having kind of these static characteristics. We then look at the causal and temporal information that joins them together that creates a timeline. Mm -hmm. We then look at those specific details and looking at how different people speak about the same event to try and uncover the truth. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of using data to play detective work in an insider thread incident. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about becoming Sherlock Holmes and Mm -hmm. not reading hundreds of pages of reports to do that, but instead visualizing the attack and being able to scroll back and do things like root cause analysis being able to look at how assets were targeted, being able to answer questions like, you know, who was the insider? What were their motivations? Um, Who helped them? Were there any accomplices? What was the outcome? And creating not just a model that exists, but a dynamically adapting model. So the more insider threat cases you feed it, the better it can understand the types of insider threat that a business is likely to face. Wow, that's really cool. Have you done any interesting case studies with your research? Um, so the one example that I have in my thesis and the one example which is available on my paper uh, is a case of insider fraud. So a female manager worked at a bank, um, was caught uh, basically creating fake checks. So caught by a cashier when she had this unusually large check uh, and then got arrested, essentially. Mm -hmm. So when you go into kind of the full case and you look at it, you start to see, okay, what was her motivation? Well, actually, it wasn't necessarily clear to everyone what her motivation was, but you have, like, colleagues who said she was very generous. She might have had, like, a drug problem potentially, but it was kind of rumors. People weren't sure. Um, You have that she... um, that she had been buying gifts for people, that she was very charismatic and was able to evade uh, existing controls by just becoming exempt from using a new system. And at the end of the day, you have now everyone has to use the new system. No one is exempt. And they now put auditing measures in place. So you kind of see the story of an attack. And because it's visual, you can really pull out these key details when you look at some of the graphs. Because you can look at them and go, wow, okay, yeah, you can you can clearly see that there's this whole cluster um, of like text that again comes from different people. This is not from the same people. This is from, you know, pe- some people might write a paragraph, some people might write a sentence, but they all come together no matter how like how much detail people write in. And you can mm-hmm. start to see these topics building up of things like um the motivation, you really see the kind of financial motivation, but also the fact that it was a lot of rumors. So colleagues weren't necessarily aware. And then if you start to then look at like how she did it, you can pull out these really key steps of, 
um, having a new system in place, exempt, getting herself exempt from the, from the new system, then um, passing fake checks because there wasn't any auditing on a paper-based system and then being caught by the cashier and you can kind of see these very clear steps happening mm-hmm. in the graphs. Even though they come from completely different people's reports, you can still see that those themes occur, which is really exciting. It was really cool to see for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So you're basically grabbing all the reports that you got from the incidents and sort of finding the common denominator of all of those reports, right? Yeah, exactly. And looking at not just creating a model that works once for one type of report, but creating mm-hmm. something that can adapt and change with the organization. You, you, if you, if you say working in the banking sector, you're of course going to find a lot of insider fraud. So being able to kind of bias the model in that way to um, insider fraud will mean that when you start to get new types of attacks coming up, when you start to kind of let this model adapt and change, that those common themes can become even more clearer over time with all like not just with one attack, but with like three or four, and then you keep going. And because all we need is are our reports written in any way, they don't have to be formal reports, they don't have to be technical reports, they're just witness statements. They can be as short as a sentence or as long as a page to three pages. Um, they can be written in really formal English, or they can be written really casually. They can have full stops and be in proper sentences, or they can be bullet points. And we don't have to tell people how to write or what to write about. We let them write about the incident, how they feel comfortable writing about it. So we can also get that kind of data a lot more easily than with a really formal technical report, which takes time to compile. Mm-hmm. What does what does insider threat look like in different types of organizations besides banks? Oh, there, there are so many different types. So for insider threat, there's kind of like a lovely taxonomy, which is you start out with malicious insider threat and accidental insider threat. So if you go on Twitter and you type in the hashtag working from home, um, you will see many cases of accidental insider threat as people take photos of their computer mm-hmm. screens. <laughs> people leave laptops on the train. People leave um, documents just lying around. People don't shred important documents. Now, those may not actually cause an incident. They might not actually cause a breach, but they are still accidental inside a threat. And some of it is a case of like accidentally disclosing information. Sometimes it is accidentally causing a hack to occur. So clicking on a phishing link, for example, might allow a malicious actor that hasn't got anything to do with the organization to access the network. so that is kind of accidental insider threat. Then you have malicious insider threat, which is separated again into kind of three key archetypes. We have insider fraud, which is what I was just talking about, which is committing fraud, fraud that's committed by the insider against their organization. Now that can be the insider on their own, but actually there are types of insider threat, especially inside of fraud, where the insider recruits other insiders into the fraud and you end up having this kind of like ring of, um, inside a fraud. Mm-hmm. That's one type. Then you have inside a sabotage. So there was a, I think it was a county in the US where the IT department, guy in the IT department got fired. And he was so annoyed 
that he refused to hand over any of the passwords until he got into jail. And the mayor came down to the jail and then apologized to him personally. And then he gave up the passwords. Wow. <laughs> uh, and inside of sabotage is that it's sabotaging IT systems, usually done by very technical members of staff. Um, could be anything from like logic bombs to just refusing to give up the passwords when you're asked for them. Um, creating backdoors back into the organization after you've left. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you kind of see people talk about it as like an insurance policy in case they get fired. Um, so that's very oh. common by mm -hmm. technical members of staff. And the final type you have is insider IP theft. Now, insider IP theft is what it sounds. It's an insider stealing intellectual property. Usually it's committed by creative type scientists, engineers, and mm -hmm. they feel a sense of entitlement over the work they produce for their employer and decide, hey, this is, um, this is uh, mine because I worked on it and I made it, so it's mine. I can just take it. Uh, and they do that to either start a new business or to join a new organization. Mm -hmm. I used to work at a utility broker, and that's somebody who sells utility contracts. So, the business model is you get a bunch of people on the sales floor calling up businesses and saying, would you like to switch to a different utility provider? Essentially, mm -hmm. yeah. And constantly what people would do is because it was based on commission. So obviously the salesperson got a small cut of what the actual like reward would be for the business as a whole to keep the business running. But people would notice that and say, well, I'm going to start up on my own. So they would try and steal the data of all the customers to try and sell to the customers before the original organization had the chance. That was quite common. Going to another employer with data is also quite common. And as is actually being recruited sometimes by nation states um, into giving up um, kind of trade secrets uh, out of kind of loyalty to, your, to a, a country. So it could be like insider threat is very broad. And those are only the major archetypes. There are even more types that mm -hmm. don't quite fit into those boxes very neatly. Right. So are there any good way that organizations can prevent malicious insider threats? Uh, I mean, there's a few. Like you need to have a three-pronged attack. You can't just install a piece of software mm -hmm. and go, insider threat is solved. We now have the best intrusion <laughs> detection system. Um and it comes from all aspects of the business. It comes from teaching people what suspicious activity looks like. So if somebody suddenly is like spending a lot of money, uh, that might be something where that might have to be addressed by management because that might be a sign of an insider threat activity. Quite a lot of it is on the management point of view of making sure that line managers can support um employees so they don't feel like they need to commit insider threat attacks for example if they've been passed over for a promotion a great way to engage them is to say hey sorry you didn't get the promotion here are some more responsibilities that we think you can handle if you meet these objectives we can look at a promotion at this date you can also do things like employee assistance programs so if an employee is in debt having a like a debt advice service that employees can use Having things like health insurance is really good as well. So people don't feel like they need to commit inside threat for another purpose, like to um, help pay for medical bills, for example. 
You then also need somebody to kind of an expert in insider threat because you can't just have these and then say, okay, we've solved it. Because insider threat is consistently evolving. You need to evolve too. So it's like fully investigating the kind of post-incident activity, trying to get down to the bottom of what actually happened, and then looking at ways to mitigate that in the future. <laughs> right. So this goes back to your three approaches to reducing insider threat risks. Yeah, it, it, it all comes down to technical psychology and management style. Mm -hmm. So where do you see this field going in the future? I think a lot of people think this solution is like more um, more insider threat uh, or more, more machine learning, more insider threat detection capabilities. I actually think it's a, like recognizing that insider threat is firstly a problem. I think a lot of organizations don't actually think about it or think that it's like unavoidable. Like let's not treat it like uh car crashes let's treat it like a plane plane crash right it's not mm -hmm. some like a business risk it's something you can actually prevent and you can take steps to avoid so katie where do you see the field of insider threats going in the future it's a really interesting question because i think it has a lot of answers like i don't think there's one way we could be like yes this is the future of insider threat and i know that because i have a degree um because it just doesn't it doesn't necessarily work like that what i'd really like to see is start to see what people are researching in academia find its way into practitioners hands i think one of the real downsides of academia just in general is that often research ends up just kind of forgotten in academia and it never gets used by actual practitioners mm -hmm. so one thing I'd really like to see is looking at the kind of increased detection capabilities we're developing in the kind of research field, but also management approaches, which can hopefully lead to better understanding of insider threat actually in actual organizations. I think I can sit here and talk about future research directions and what the future is. But honestly, all I want to see is like, let's get research into people's actual hands and get them being able to use it in their own organizations. Yeah, so thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for your time today, Katie. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been lovely to chat.